Welcome back to another edition of a Mormon Expression. We're here again tonight in the fabulous uh, den of iniquity. Um, and I'm about to introduce another wonderful panel. First of all, sitting at my side is... Nobody can guess. Stressed out and <laughs> worn out Zilpha. Hey, Zilpha. Hey, everybody. Hey, John. Zilpha's just finishing up the semester. Uh, she's a grad student. True. Welcome, welcome to the welcome to my world. <laughs> and uh, you're silly. Sitting across from me, uh, coming back uh, is uh, Robin. Hi, Robin. Hello. How are you this evening? Good. In honor of this podcast, I just la- wanted to let everyone know, just as in honor of the nudist podcast, we are all dressing accordingly. <laughs> you know what? Actually, <laughs> John and I were going to cut off some old t-shirts so we could, you know, show off our midriffs, but we didn't get around to it. You're welcome. Yes, and I'm wearing a potato sack. <laughs> and returning, it's been a while. Welcome back, Jessica. Thanks for having me back. Thanks. Um, uh, uh, when we thought about doing this, you're, you're, you came first to my mind because you are a dancer. Oh, yeah. And we're immodest. Yes. Yes, exactly. Well, I did wear something trashy. So. Oh, well, I appreciate it. Thank you. <laughs> And uh, joining us through the internet is uh, our, our fabulous um, A-team blogger, Tierza. Hi, Tierza. Hi. Um, and I recommend everyone go to the mormonexpression.com slash blogs and check out the fabulous things Tierza writes. She is an all-star. Didn't I just say that? Uh, yeah. Well, thank you. You're making me blush. Well, you deserve it. So um, we, we also have a studio audience tonight. Yeah, yeah we have the, the, the usual riffraff <laughs> hanging around the edges. They, they may pitch in. We don't know. <laughs> Let's see. Before we start, I do want to announce we did put on the calendar a new event. Um, July 20th, um, up near Woodruff, Utah. I'm sure you all know where that is. At the fabulous Monte Cristo camping ground will be our first ever Mormon Expression Ward Camp Out. Uh, July 20th through the 22nd. We are unfortunately limited to 200 people. This is a family (laughs) event. So send an email to mail at mormonexpression.com and get your reservations in. Um, And uh, we hope to see you all there. It should be good times. Did you realize you just got an assignment to keep track of? Yes, I just realized that. That's That's why I was looking at you. All right. Um, for tonight's topic, um, recently the blogosphere has been all lit up by a strange little event that happened up at uh, what we used to call um, Rick's Rick's College, <laughs> <laughs> and now it's BYU Idaho. Um, um, of course, the uh, the BYU con- educational system has a dress and grooming standard, and we're going to get into that in a little bit, but. Um, Central to the dress and grooming standard is the Mormon concept of modesty, which is what we're talking about tonight. And for those of you who haven't followed this little Idaho event, I think it's been picked up by the national press in different places. Um, one of the ways they enforce the dress and grooming standard is at the testing center. So if you go in to take a test, you you can be kicked out. Um, and there was a little sign posted. We will, we will uh, post a, an image of it up on the website um, where they um, banned what's called Skinny. Skinny jeans. Now, I, I thought they were just talking about, like, thin jeans, but apparently this is a wardrobe piece. Oh, yeah. It's a staple. So, uh, what, what are... Help me out here, because I'm completely <laughs> clueless. So, uh, they're not made of denim? No, they're denim. They're just very stretchy denim. I didn't know there was such a thing. I guess there's lycra. I don't know. Oh, okay. So, so these are tight pants. They're tight. Now, we also have... 
and it's been verified as true, the picture of the young lady who wore the jeans and exactly what she was wearing at the time. And they weren't even real skinny no, jeans. No, they weren't. They weren't. Mm-mm. Have no, you not they seen weren't. it? I haven't seen they it. They weren't real skinny. I mean, here. no, because skinny jeans go all the way skinny to the, the ankle, right? And hers, I mean, they might have been kind of tight on top, just because they fit her well. Mm-hmm. But they were and, loose and from like shapely, the knee down. So perhaps they were just mad at her because she has a shapely figure. She doesn't figure. look like a boy. That's yeah. exactly what she was wearing. Oh my. Um, and once again, we'll have this picture posted they up are on, not the, on the website. Jeans. Those are not skinny jeans. Well, they're like a straight leg jean. Yeah, or like a boot cut. Yeah, boot cut. That's what I said. Perhaps a boot cut. Um, anyway, she was not allowed to go into the testing center. Aww. Now, in all fairness to her, um, to I mean, to the testing center or to, to <laughs> um, BYU Idaho, it was not fair to her. Um, the, there was a standard about wearing tight fitting clothing. And it was it was left up to the testing center, and I don't think we've identified the culprit of who actually posted um, this uh, notice up and who actually let her out. But um, I was complaining to Zilpha earlier. This this to me this is standard like um, chicken shit church operation, because this is one of those things where the brethren like to define something in such a way. <laughs> the, the brethren like to define something in such a way with plausible deniability. You know, they'll say tight fitting clothing, then leave it to functionaries to, then they can say, Oh, well, we, no, 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 well, that's, that doesn't violate our standard. You know, so I still hold the church culpable if for nothing else than not defining it. You know, if you want to make these rules and then not define them, this sort of thing's going to happen. They're going to say, Oh, this wasn't us. This didn't come from the administration. It didn't come from the administration by design. They don't, they don't want to be, um, on that level, they'll leave nameless cogs in the wheel to in, in, enforce this thing. Yeah, but really, if your clothes fit you right, they're going to be form fitting. Fitted. S- says you. Yeah. Yes. Y- unless you're looking frumpy. Yeah, frumpy. And dumpy. Or wearing a potato sack. <laughs> yeah. I yeah. mean, it's going to. It's a fire hazard to wear loose clothing. Come on now. So, I'd rather be alive and in form fitting clothes. So, um,. <laughs> We really want to focus in on the concept of modesty and especially as it relates to the church and its doctrine because it's an interesting thing how tightly it's been woven into concepts of self-identity, concepts of sin, and uh, concepts of just being. I mean, we're going to talk about the honor code here and the idea that honor and what that means in the English language is tied into how long your sleeves are is just a really Mormon thing. And you're right in my line of sight. So it's not like I'm hitting on you. I'm just, <laughs> I'm just going to bore right into you. So it's, it's, it's really just tied so much into that Mormon concept in ways that I think are foreign to people outside the church. Before we get started, I want to take a step way, way, way back, like 50 million years back. And uh, let's talk a little bit about um, evolutionary biology um, and evolutionary psychology. Uh, really, every organism on this planet um, shares concern for three things. Uh, one, it has to be in the right environment um, to, for it to survive. It has to be in the right temperature, climate, or whatever. Two, it needs food. Um, and three, it needs to reproduce. And that's ultimately everything sort of boils down to those three categories. And the fact is that we are simply um, organisms like other organisms. Now, we have higher function, obviously, and we can do more than fight. How perfect. (laughs) (laughs) What is it? Um, feed, fight, and and the the other F. Um, so, um, so, but, but, but those, those are really a driver. And, and if you study psychology, 
you'll see that some of those things, the, the, those, those, that quest for survival on the fundamental level just sort of underpins everything. And obviously it underpins all the relationships between the sexes. And in, um, in, uh, anthropology and biology, we talk about something called sexual dimorphism, which is the differentiation between the male and the female, the species. Um, so you, you see that it's often tied up in finding or tracking a mate, like peacock feathers. They don't really have a strong, um, biological purpose outside of mate attraction. So different species, uh, um, have different things of those. But, and, and there's all sorts of reasoning behind all this stuff as to, you know, like, um, uh, for example, people might be attracted to a, a woman who's got a larger pelvis. Larger pelvis means she's more likely to be able to successfully birth. Um, uh, where in the olden days, you know, 15,000 years ago, um, you know, somebody who's faster, somebody who's stronger. Or chubbier. Or, or chubbier, yeah. You know, um, oftentimes, especially in, um, we, we were listening to a news show and they were talking about these um, women talking about each other in Africa. And they were talking about the other girls being fat. And the commentator had to come on saying, you have to remember that's a compliment because this is a place where there's not a lot of food. So whenever they say fat, they're meaning that as a, as a compliment because if you, if you don't have enough food resources, you, you know, you might not have, a, you know, might not ovulate. You might not be as successful in reproduction. And a lot of this stuff is subconscious in us. We don't even realize that, that, that we're doing these things. But it, for human beings, um, we have developed higher orders of, of things and we have cultural components too. Anybody who's been, you know, into a very vastly different culture will see the sexual signaling and sexual attractiveness changes from somewhat from culture to culture, but it all tends to be based on sexual dimorphism. So if we take the example of Chinese foot binding, um, obviously men tend to be larger than women, so that's a dimorphic thing. So oftentimes people will wear clothing or otherwise modify their body to, to emphasize that. So you'll see men wearing, you know, like if you go to conference, you'll see men wearing shoulder pads in, in their suit jackets because that gives them a more broad masculine look. And you'll see women's suits have shoulder pads too. Women's suits wear, wear shoulder pads, and that's because um, you, you'll notice that in the in the eighties when shoulder pads were really in, so were really big belts. So so it what it was trying to do was emphasize the differentiation, the hourglass, the hourglass mm-hmm. shape. Um, oh, so so these things are not like all constant. You know, neck stretching and things like that can be tied to those things. Well, there's some that we do very much in our culture here, um, which are really quite striking and probably to our ancestors of even a hundred years ago would be very bizarre. One of those, well, I, I don't know how long they've been doing, but wearing like, um, rouge on your cheeks or lipstick, uh, the, the, uh, psychologist will tell us that li- the dark red lipstick mimics the, uh, vulva when a woman is sexually aroused, which turns red. A uh, woman, when she's sexually aroused, the man also will become flushed. So they'll get a, um, you know, a reddish look about their skin. Um, you know, obviously a brassiere holds breasts up and makes a woman's, um, 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 <laughs> bosom, tits. Bosom. <laughs> <laughs> trying to look for the, the, makes a woman's, um, um bosom. bosoms, um, bosoms. look, look younger and younger, um, is associated with fertility, right? So, so th- you take all these different, um, these, these aspects that really kind of, fundamentally pushed down to our mating strategies and what we find um, sexually attractive in terms of, of getting a mate. Why this is funny is you will find women in the church, these old women wearing like great big brassiers, poking their boobs out really high, um, wearing dresses, dressing in a very, very different way from men, um, with their lips painted red, 
complaining about the younger generation wearing flip flops or, 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 or something inappropriate like that. Um, and, and it's, it's just, it's just from, if you were an alien coming down to earth and seeing, you know, I, I remember talks about them telling young women they basically needed to shave their legs, you know, well, that's to, that's, um, a principle they call neoteny, which is trying to look younger and younger and younger. Um, because of those, those breeding strategies. So I, I want, I want to lay that out there right now to say that modesty is a function of culture, but it plays into this idea of we want to make ourselves attractive to the opposite sex. And we're going to see a theme going through this whole night of this tightrope that women have to walk that is razor sharp and unwinnable and puts women in an awful situation which is in the Mormon culture and in other Western cultures, they have to be sexually attractive and at the same time not be overly sexually attractive. And that line is not well-defined, and women are forced into this, just this self-destructive cycle downward as they try to do, uh, the church says, be feminine, but be modest, and, and you're responsible for, for the um, attraction that men have to you. Somebody else say something. I'm getting tired of talking. <laughs> Can I throw a little wrench in that? Sure. Go ahead. There. Um, you know, it's interesting because originally the idea of modesty really has nothing to do. Well, I mean, I think everything has to do something with sexuality, but um, it wasn't really about sexuality. It was about not putting yourself forward, not being um, getting attention. And if you look like at older, if you go back a couple of generations, when they talk about modesty, they talk about men and women equally in modesty because they're not talking about sexuality. They're talking about not being like above your station or above your whatever, not getting attention to yourself. So um, it's interesting how it's become more and more and more about sex at least in the church itself it's become more about sex and that's less an about excellent point that. and i just sort of skipped right over that which is modesty yeah it's it, it the the modest mouse it has to do with um being yeah not above your station like like you say like and 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 we have completely redefined that in the church to everybody thinks immediately about sex the same thing with morality you know, I, I think out, if you went to a Greek, you know, who were talking about morality all, all the time, I don't think they would even, the, the sex would even cross their mind. They'd be talking about, you know, de, you know, lying and cheating and ethical treatment of your slaves and all this other stuff, which in, in, a, in a lot of ways are bigger. I started making a list uh, last week of things that now that I'm out of the church, what I find immoral versus what I found immoral before. And they were big things. They were, they, you know, they, they were things like, um, child slavery and, and, and um, you know, like um, female circumcision and these these awful things, and none of them had anything to do with like who you sleep with uh, vol uh, voluntarily. Roofies don't count. Thank you for clarifying. <laughs> so, so I, I think that's an excellent point. Um, so let's um let's talk a little bit about how the church actually defines um uh, modesty and and what and what we're talking about here. I want to go first of all um to um to the BYU honor code statement <clears throat> so to go to BYU at the, the you know the flagship school of the church you have to sign what they call the honor code statement and it starts off with the 13th article of faith that's the first thing they say you know being honest true chaste benevolent all that stuff and um 
you know, they, they, they have in here like cleanliness and live a chaste and virtuous life, use clean language, abstain from things like alcohol, um, participate regularly in church services and observe the dress and grooming standards. So the thing that I think is funny about this is not a lot of that people would normally attribute to honor and being honorable. You know, he was an honorable guy because he didn't use foul language. I mean, that's not, that's kind of a, a warped definition of it to, to me. You know, we think about an honorable person in the, in the workplace or in the military, or whatever, somebody who did their duty above and beyond, who, who, who strove for some sort of virtue in, in the, um, traditional sense of the word and not just not doing these petty little things. Right. Isn't it? It seems like in the LDS church, we have these like markers, like you can pretty much tell like what kind of a Mormon you are with certain things. And you can, at least I could, when I was Mormon, I could tell what kind of a Mormon you were by what you were wearing. Yeah. And there's, there's this acceptable thing. Like Mm -hmm. there's Mormons who let's take like caffeine and Coke, Mm -hmm. Coke. Um, there's cat, there's Mormons who specifically flaunt the fact that they drink diet Coke or whatever. Because they're trying to make a statement. And there's Mormons who specifically flaunt the fact that they do not. And, and so you get those, and, and that has a lot to do with, with the um, dress and grooming too. And, and there's a, a, a big effort to control that. So let's, um, let's actually read, I'm going to actually read you the BYU dress and grooming standard. The dress and grooming of both men and women should always be modest, neat, and clean. Consistent with the digni- dignity adherent to representing the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and any of its institutions of higher education. Modesty and cleanliness are important values that reflect personal dignity and integrity through which students, staff, and faculty represent the principles and standards of the Church. Members of the BYU co- community commit themselves to observe the following standards, which are reflected which reflect the direction of the Board of Trustees and the Church Publication for the Strength of Youth. The dress and grooming standards are as follows. Men, a clean and well-cared-for appearance should be maintained. Clothing is inappropriate when it is sleeveless, reveal... Wait, that sounds like women. <laughs> no, no, they have right. to put that that's in right. for men, too, so, so oh. they can be fair. It doesn't apply, really, but... They are. Yeah. Okay, when it is... Well, my goodness, sleeveless men. And <laughs> revealing clothing. Um, we don't want to see any midriffs. <laughs> when it when a sleeve is revealing a form fitting, shorts must be neat length or longer. Hairstyle should be clean and neat, avoiding extreme styles or colors, and trimmed above the collar, leaving the <laughs> the ears uncovered. I'm sorry, it's hard for me. To read <laughs> you know, honest to God, I mean, people have to sign this thing to get into the school, and you can get kicked out for this stuff. Um, <laughs> Your ears on <laughs> sideburns. You know. Well, and the crazy thing, John, is I was laughing about this reading it. I bet it's easier to get a weed card in California than it is to get a beard card at BYU. Uh, probably. There's enough doctors around BYU who, who want to stick their thumb in BYU's eye. will give you one. So if you really want one, it's not hard. But you'll get, you talk to people who had beard cards and you'll get side looks the whole time you're there. Sideburns should not extend below the earlobe or onto the cheek. If worn, mustaches should be neatly trimmed and not and may not extend beyond or below the corners of the mouth. Men are <laughs> men are accepted to be are expected to be clean shaven. Beards are not acceptable. Earrings and other body piercings are not acceptable. Shoes should be worn in all public campus areas. That's the end of the male grooming standard. Jessica, do you have the female I one do. there? Because mm-hmm. I, I cut off my page. Can you read that? Yep. Women. 
A clean and well cared for appearance should be maintained. Clothing is inappropriate when it is sleeveless, strapless, backless, or revealing, has slits above the knee, or is form-fitting. Dresses, skirts, and shorts must be knee-length or longer. Hairstyles should be neat, clean and neat, avoiding extremes in styles or colors. Excessive ear piercing, more than one per ear, and all other body piercing are not acceptable. Shoes should be worn in all public campus areas. All other body piercings. Anybody else have dirty thoughts when that? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All right. All right. I think they need to spell it out. (laughs) Well, the men's paragraph is way bigger than the than the women's. Worse for the men, but 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 the 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 women. But a lot of that was dedicated to facial hair. Um, Why did they not mention slits above the knee on the men's shorts skirts? No, it said backs. Did you say slits above the knee? I was at yeah. BYU in the 90s, and I know oh, some of the rest of you were. It's not like slits and jeans. It doesn't say. It doesn't. <sighs> it just says it's probably It's probably a skirt. It has right. slits above the knee. What's funny is the hypocrisy. Of B- yeah. When I was at BYU, you had, I don't know if it's still this way. When you went to a gym class, you couldn't bring your own clothes in. No. You, you had to wear this. These <laughs> The issue. The thi- They were short shorts. They were like Daisy Duke length, right? <laughs> and they had the little triangle on the side, um, the little uh, gusset. And the the shirts were all like worn, just threadbare, thin, uh, you know. And and you know, here you'd have this. You may not wear these, and then you go to the gym class, and they made you wear them. You had you had no other choice but to wear those. Um, and then somebody posted, you know, in this whole discussion, this whole brouhaha, the picture of the BYU cheerleaders all like making sexy poses. Did you guys see that picture going out there? No, but I've seen. I'll try you, to find I've it. Seen those and, cheerleaders, and they're all you know wearing very short, appropriate clothing for what they're doing. I have nothing wrong with the cheerleader wear. But, you know, to say, hey, it is immoral or immodest to wear short clothing, unless you're in front of 70,000 people and kicking your legs up in the world and showing them your cooch, then it's okay <laughs> to wear it. It's just, it's an absolute um, hypocrisy. They're inspiring hypocrisy. the football players to greatness. Come on. Uh, I, I guess. And, you know, and... and well, another thing that never made, made sense to me is you can wear if you wear a modest swimsuit, but you wore it like to campus, you would be totally immodest. But you can wear it to swimming, and it's modest. It's considered modest. Why? How is that possible? I mean, these these, these are all excellent points. Let's go a little bit back in time. BYU wasn't always the uptight, nerdy school it is today. <laughs> For a long time, up until the war, um, it was a fairly small school. And if you go back to like the 20s and turn of the century, it was a fairly liberal school. And as a matter of fact, you can read histories of where it would get the brother and all bent out of shape. Um, then came the war. And of course, the GI Bill all across the United States pumped schools up with tons and tons of students who might not have had the opportunity to go to college before. And then came the counterculture movement, which started really in the 50s, the beatniks and, you know, um, the, the, a lot of the soldiers getting back from the war were sort of sick of the, everything and and started this this sort of movement well ernie wilkinson who from the 50s to the 70s was the president of byu um really didn't like the counterculture so byu became ground zero for the american counter counter culture movement so why does byu have a rule against facial hair it's really quite simple it came in the 60s it's because hippies wore beards and your straight-laced business guys did not so it became very important at that point for the church to start 
making a differentiation, and the church really took on this identity of we are uber Americans. And that started, the germ of that was after polygamy, when the church was searching for a new identity. But after the after World War II, it just really kicked into high gear. And if you read the missionary manuals from that time, they don't say wear a white shirt and, and, a, and a tag. They say dress like a businessman. Um you know, and, and, and that's the way it was up until the late sixties where more Mormon missionaries did not differentiate themselves from the way people were dressing in, in a standard sort of way. So BYU and then by extension, the church started adopting these things of saying, we're going to differentiate ourselves. And the problem is once a rule like that gets set in stone, you, you, you can't ever get rid of it until as I've read this down, we have people identifying modesty and honor and chastity with facial hair. Which is completely <laughs> ridiculous. It's a non sequitur. And, and we have done the same thing with any sort of displaying of, sp- especially female bodies. And when I mean displaying, I'm not talking about like a, <laughs> I'm not talking about like a hoochie coochie dancer. I'm just talking about people dressing appropriately for their bodies. Um, and, or, or even dressing, I mean, I, I attended BYU in the 90s. I remember the first time I had to get an ID card and the girl in front of me had shorts that were literally like half an inch above her knee <laughs> and they came and I, I know this sounds untrue, but they, you know, they had their ruler and they measured them and her, it just so happened that hers had a cuff on them. <laughs> and so she stood there and she asked, does anybody have any nail clippers? Oh, and somebody did. And she clipped the hem on her pants and rolled them down so that they covered her knee and then they were like okay that's fine <laughs> you can go in yeah it was the i remember most bizarre those moment those searches I, yeah i mean how is that better how is that more appropriately dressed it's then, not. it's silly i mean it's like the times we'd stand in line to go in to eat and we'd pull our shorts down but we had a long shirt on if anybody came and lifted up our <laughs> shirt it would have been all over. Yeah. <laughs> our und- our undies would have been, you know, all on display for everyone to see. But it was just the game we played. But I have to say it was such a shock because I didn't start school at BYU. I started at the University of Alaska in Fairbanks. And in Fairbanks, I mean, all we cared about was that you were warm. It really didn't matter what was on your body as long as you were warm. You were fine. And so you went, I mean... How many days did I roll out of bed in my in my uh, sweatsuit and go to class like that, just throw a coat on and go to class? When I got to BYU, it was so hard to have to, like, do my hair every day and wear makeup every day and dress nice every day. It felt like... Why'd you have to do your hair and put on makeup? Well, didn't you see how many times in that code that cleanliness and all that stuff came up there? And you can't be too casual. And yeah, or no, comfortable you because you know comfort is you know opposite to godliness. Because when Zilpha, when we we were doing surveys of manuals this afternoon, and what I was surprised is I thought I'd find a lot of lessons on modesty. What I found was more lessons aimed at girls on being comely and attractive than I found on, on modesty. And attractive is a key word there because the, the, the manuals for the boys talk about selecting an eternal companion, selecting. It's an active verb. The manuals for the women talk about being worthy 
of being an eternal companion. They, there's no lessons in the women's manuals on selecting a worthy priesthood holder. It's understanding the priesthood. It's being worthy of basically a priesthood holder. And attracting. Attr- attracting. Attracting a yes. worthy tre- priesthood well, holder. And, and for the guys, like a, the priesthood is their main asset. And for the for the girls, I think attractiveness is often their main asset I in the re- church. Yes. So it's not complete torture dealing with the priesthood. No. Um, something positive to go home to. David O. McKay, here's a little quote while we're, while we're waiting for John. He said, A beautiful woman, if she was also chaste and modest, was creation's masterpiece. If she was also chaste and modest. <laughs> th- th- this <laughs> one, she was smart. This one almost made me matter. cry this afternoon. This is from the Aaronic Priesthood Manual Number 2, which is the, the one they're using today. This is lesson number 37, Understanding Women's Roles. You think, oh, oh great. Mm-hmm. Um, they're going to teach the, the kids about women. Um, uh, the, the, um, objective, each young man will understand women's roles in the church, the community, and the home. Okay, great. Um, number two, it defines what the, the roles of the church, the community, and the home are. And there's three of them. Are you ready for them? A, the importance and blessing of being a daughter of God. The importance and blessing of being a wife, and the importance and blessing of being a mother. All three roles for women are defined in relationship to a man. Yeah. Um, there's there's nothing in, in there about pursuing their own, developing their self. There's nothing in there about all the other crap that's in this manual that it's telling the duties of the blessings of work or the blessings of self-discipline and all this other stuff that appears in the manual for the boys is completely stripped clean here in this, in this thing on what women's roles are. And so every, if you read through these manuals, you'll see over and over again that women are something that they're set up to be attractive and to serve, to serve, to serve, to serve everybody else. It's all about relationship to everyone else, which is why this stuff on modesty is so insidious. Yes. Yeah. So why, why is it that modesty is such a big deal in the in the church. Okay, so let's let's go to uh, Gospel Principles, the current one. This uh, this is chapter thirty nine, the law of chastity. Um, Saint, Saint's plan. <laughs> Saint's plan. All right, page two hundred twenty eight. If you're following along in your book, Satan's plan is to deceive <laughs> as many of us as he can to prevent us from t- returning to live with our fa- fa- heavenly Father. One of the most damaging things he can do is entice us to break the law of chastity. He is cunning and powerful. He would like us to believe it is no sin to break this law. Many people have been deceived. We must guard ourselves against evil influence. Satan attacks the standards of modesty. Okay, here's the meat here. Satan attacks the standards of modesty. He wants us to believe that because the human body is beautiful, it is something to flaunt and expose. Our Heavenly Father wants us to keep our bodies covered so that we do not encourage improper thoughts in the minds of others. And you know what's funny about that is the more you keep your body covered, the more any little part that's uncovered is seen as sexual. Yeah, this is where I go way back to where we started the podcast. Because you cannot stop the forces of nature. Um, And there are some weirdos who have been in the Quorum of the Twelve, like um, Spencer Kimball. Yeah. um, And... (laughs) um, 
what's what's Peterson? Peters, Marky oh, Peterson, yeah. and then Boyd K. Packer, the Holy Trinity of weirdness, who <laughs> who believe that somehow you can stop sexual urges, and that sexual would... urges are precognition; they come from hormones; they don't come from thought. Dallin H. Oaks had had a. Contributed He's to getting that, weirder and weirder in his... You, you uh, want to know what he said? Yeah. He said, young women, please understand that if you dress immodestly, you are magnifying this problem by becoming pornography to some of the men who see you. Ooh. The, wow. The problem with this is you are defining the crime, and this is key because this is absolutely true in the church, you're defining the crime of what a woman wears in terms of what happens in a guy's head. And, and not all men... A man. So one man can look at you and say, I find that what she is wearing to be arousing. And you have violated what these standards here have been set, set up for. And, and the problem is sexual dimorphism is in and of itself, um, titillating for lack of a better word. It causes sexual response. That's what we're biologically programmed to do. And it doesn't matter if you go down and move to Colorado City and start combing your hair up in that bouffant. What do they call that hairdo they do where they comb their hair back and you wear those potato sack dresses that they wear that that will become associated in everybody's mind with femininity. And I guarantee you there's 17-year-old guys um, getting a semi every time they see one of those hairdos walk by because that's what they've learned to associate with sexuality. You can't escape that. And what's what's fascinating is if you watch conference, the men get up all, all up in these dark Brooks Brothers shirts, shirts and ties and, and suit coats. And the women wear these outlandish oh, suits. They're, they're pastel. Mm-hmm. You won't see short outside of 1984 – since then, you will not see a single woman in the business wearing these. It is that they 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 wear heavy makeup. They usually are are um you know they're they're coiffed, they're bouffant. But John, they they are older women, so to them that is stylish still. But but what I'm saying is, a woman cannot in the church go and wear like a dark. Um, business suit, business like suit. you would wear in a business context, because she's disobeying the rule of being feminine, and you see that rule, that that thing, that statement come up over here again and again. She's dressing too much like a man. If you wear a pantsuit to church, you will get somebody will come talk to you because you are not being feminine enough. But if you're too feminine, like our friend at BYU, and show too many curves. Even though the body is naturally curvy, and yes, it's naturally sexually appealing. The, the, the female body to the male is just like the male body is naturally sexually appealing to the woman. And, and when you're showing that, you're not like trying to, trying to, you know, get dollars stuffed into your G string. You're just <laughs> dressing to be attractive. Yes. Good point. Although you can stuff dollars into my G string whenever you want. Um, well, Zilpha asked before, Zilpha, you said, what is, why all this? Why are we talking about all this? And I think it goes back to the sex podcast where it's all these stops and starts. It's like, you know, it's, it's okay, this is bad, this is bad, now it's not. You know, this is bad, this is bad, now it's not. The same with modesty. It's like, I mean, there's similarities there. And if, and if you're the one that's controlling those starts and stops and what's okay and what's not okay, then it's the control fa- aspect of it, right? And so that's really what it comes down to is why does the church care so much about modesty? Why are they doing and why are they doing all this? To me, it's it's another aspect of control. Well, and, well, and I, go ahead. Well, um, I was reading, and and 
just read the same um, same paper article mm-hmm. thing um, about how in the 80s the the church took and distributed pamphlets and did training to their sister missionaries to teach them how to dress more professionally because um, according to the woman who was in charge of it, they were dressing, um, um, let's see, well, one of the words she used was um, childlike clothing. But, you know, in, in the church, you're you're not taught how to dress professionally as a woman. You're taught to dress just modestly and femininely. So, you know, ruffles are fine um, for a woman, you know. Well, especially <laughs> if all you're ever going to do is be a mom right, or... A wife. That's fine, but as soon as you're representing the church, then they then they see it differently. Well, and, because and the, then you look dowdy, and you're not you know you're not seen as a professional organization if you have these ladies walking around in their you know jumpers. But what I thought was funny about the article um, was that women were they they talked about the jumpers and stuff that women were encouraged to wear. That's what what, what was embarrassing to the brethren was that they had trained women to dress a certain way in the in the chapels, and then they went out to the world, and suddenly it, it was starkly different. Right. They looked very silly. Tears well, out. except for that, you know, when you're on a mission, those jumpers and things are the most practical thing to wear because you're out, you know, especially if you're on a bike. They were, <laughs> you're not going to dress professional on a bike. What I'm about sorry. a pantsuit? You know, they should wear jeans. That would exactly. be practical. I think you'd look a lot nicer, frankly. Definitely. Skinny jeans. Or at least pants. (laughs) Skinny jeans would be great for riding a bike. (laughs) Yeah, so they don't get caught in the spokes. Come on, it's about safety. Yes. Safety and comfort all the way. Though I I like, Zoph, what you're saying about children, because um, if you look in the dress and grooming standard of BYU, I, I read it here and we sort of passed over this. It specifically says in there that you should check out the strength of youth manual, which is something they give to 12 year olds. The, the problem that, the tears I had a situation kind of like yours. I went to BYU as an undergraduate when I first started, and then I went to another school and came back. And it was so amazing to me how they treated everybody there like they were all 11 years old at BYU. You can get a good education at BYU, but you're going to be treated like a child. And that's what sort of speaks to this whole thing is the, 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 the men and women at BYU are treated like children and women are treated like children their whole career in the church. And that's what's yes. really sad about this is there's no sense of self-determination of and they're just given these these unbearable standards. So uh, I um I have I I've, I've been dominating the, the talking here and I have a bunch of um of, of lovely ladies here. So I want to hear from you guys sort of psychologically uh, especially as you grew up in the church, you know, how did you navigate these waters? I mean, what did these things mean to you? Because just to frame the question, what I hear all the time when I tell people that the main reason I walked out of the church, the, the one that kicked me out of the church was the misogyny of the church. And more often than not, I'll get the response, I don't know what you're talking about. Matter of fact, I just, when I did that, I think I've said this before, I've been in a debate with three different women. And they all said, there's no, there's no misogyny in the church. There is no, women are honored in the church. And unfortunately, in my opinion, they're put up on a golden pedestal and it's, it's insidious and it's, it's wrong. But a golden floor mat. Uh, well, however you want to put. Well, there's a lot of way, knocked down onto what, when what, they can't maintain what, the pedestal because you're you're taught, you know, as a young man to respect women. You, but it, like the the things chivalry is yes. really a way of saying, woman, you're not capable of 
and people people are going to get mad at me for for saying this, I'm sure, but it it is a way of saying you here let me help you because I am, you know, more capable and and more powerful than you are. Well, and it's you know, I think some of these things are so subtle because it's really that you're being turned into something that's um, something that's just looked at instead of something that's, you know, I mean, you've talked about this before today. If all the emphasis to the young women is on what they're wearing and being attractive, and that puts you in this position where you're on view all the time. And that's your job is to be on view, not to be active, not to be out doing something, to be passive, to be admired, to be looked at, to be, um, you know, and I, that was seriously one of the things I hated most about BYU. I hated going to church at BYU because it felt like a fashion show or when they would have visiting hours. I, I lived in Desert Towers and so... Normally, boys were not allowed on your floor, but in order to allow for home teaching, they would alternate back and forth. Like one one Sunday, the boys could come up to the floor for like an hour. Then the other Sunday, the girls could go up to the boys' floor. And you had to have your door open during that hour. And all the boys would like walk past the rooms and like look in at you. Oh, you know, these girls, not so great. We'll go on to the next room. That would be awful. Oh, my gosh. It was like being in a cattle show. And that's what BYU felt like to me. Because it was so, there was so much emphasis on on appearance. And on ma- matchmaking. And on matchmaking. Yeah, those two things. Ugh. So yeah. I, I want to jump. I said I wasn't going to talk, but that can't, I, it's a, I'm a force that can't be stopped. <laughs> But when you when you talk about objectification, and I think that that term is bantied about quite a bit, because I think there's people who can look at somebody and say, "I really want to have sex with that person." That doesn't mean they look at them as an object. So I think there's some teasing out we need to do there. But objectification, in terms of overemphasizing the sexual features of an individual over their personality, let's use that working definition, happens either way. If you say you have to wear a gunny sack and cover up your curves and we don't want to see your hips and we don't want anything tied on your legs and we want your neck covered and you need to wear something down to your wrist, you are doing the exact same thing that those guys who run strip joints are doing. You are commodifying the sexuality of a woman and you can't get away from objectification of women for the, as sex by talking about it all the time in the negative. Like if you do not objectify women, then pornography – is neither good nor bad for you. It just it just is. But if you like have this really really you just can't stand it. You're probably doing the same thing. You're saying women can't or you're saying women either can use their bodies for their own personal gain or they can't. But either way you're commodifying. You're putting it on the marketplace. And what the church doesn't realize, I guess, is that they are a number one perpetrator in objectifying women's bodies because they can't leave it alone. And well, I, as, as soon as yes. they say to a young man, if, and they say it to both young men and young women, if you see a, a young woman who is has has a tight shirt on it's not your fault if you get if you get turned on by that Here's then they're going to get turned on by that because they're because every most people are going to wear the dowdy thing, things that you're that you, people that you're around a lot 
And then if you see someone who's not wearing that, it's going to be like, wow, look, wow, look at those, you know? Here's the but if everybody was always wearing tight things, you'd just be like, yeah, there's another woman, blah, blah, Right, blah. right. It's like on the beach. You, but here's the paragraph from um, Strength of Youth. Never lower your dress standards for any occasion. Doing so sends the message that you're using your body to get attention and approval and that modesty is important only when it's convenient. But th- still implied in that is the flip side, that you're using your body to not get approval or not get attention and you're still objectifying you're still you're you're still putting that message out there definitely and i know some may you know they i mean i'm sure they put it across here as actually even being helpful you know this idea of giving you ideas how not to put you know these nasty thoughts in boys heads um but when you take it to the far level you're really not helping with the things that are important with abuse issues, because when you're focusing on behavior of the passive, um, the receiver of the negative behavior and not on the actor and the doer of the negative behavior, um, you're contributing to the problem. Um, and I don't know if this is too soon to bring. I think I'm going to save my my thought on some of this, maybe till we get to the strength of youth, because it it ties in more directly. Are we going to be getting to that? Well, one point I thought about for the strength of youth as I was reading it, because I was trying to think, oh, you know, I do want to note some things that I like since I'm normally so negative um, in these podcasts. And the one thing I did like, there was one sentence, and I'm paraphrasing, of course, because I don't have it in front of me. But the idea of um, if you have become a victim of uh, rape, incest, or some other horrible, you know, sexual abuse, you have not sinned. Um, please see your bishop for help in, you know, dealing, you know, with this. And so I thought, okay, they're acknowledging it. That's great. But I'm like, how in the world do you effectively deal with people when you've just told them it's their fault because of how they dress? And um, in the kind of work that I do as a victim advocate, I mean, it's clear how insidious this is. And John, you mentioned leaving because of the misogyny. What finally opened my eyes to leave was after for about a, a year um, working with victims of, of sexual assault, dealing with the larger philosophical issues of why it happens, what the attitudes are in the society that allows it to happen or, or creates that perfect storm. I saw that, I mean, the church not only does it fail miserably in helping, but it teaches the very behaviors and, and foundations of teaching people to become victims and teaching people to become, uh, victimizers. And that's that idea that people are not, uh, cannot be held responsible for their thoughts and therefore their actions. You know, someone should be able to stand in front of you naked. <laughs> And you still have a choice about what you do. Exactly. Um, but, you know, Elder Marky Peterson um, gave a talk at a Relief Society conference in 1962. But he said, um, what tempts the boys to molest the girls today more than any other one thing is the mode of dress of our girls. Oh, that's horrible. Yeah. Well, and that scares me more because, I mean, there's this emphasis, I mean, this emphasis on modesty with clothing is being pushed down younger and younger into the primary. So now that kind of sexualization of, I mean, there's this almost an, a sexualization of little children. Like, 
why should a little child care about her shoulders wearing a sleeveless clothing or um a two-piece bathing suit or i mean you know like i exactly. know my mom got upset because my sister was letting her son run around in just his diaper because they didn't have air conditioning in their house so she was letting him run around in his diaper because it was really hot and my mom was like that's so inappropriate oh wow how can it be He's inappropriate a for a baby to be <laughs> exactly. naked well but i i always primary me. is teaching i mean i i this this august so just a couple of months ago they had a, a sharing time in primary on dressing modestly for the little kids that's awful. Mm. Really awful. What were you going to say, Jess? Oh, I was going to say, I always was pretty relaxed with what my kids wore when they were little, but I noticed that they would come home and change sometimes, you know, with they're going to a certain friend's house or if a friend came over and said, oh, you're wearing a sundress, you need a, a sweater to go over that. And it's, wow. it's, it's pretty crazy. It is. And when we're, you know, tied in with well, you wonder, too, are you going to start blaming children, the fact that they are not dressed modestly, you know, as, that is a or that the thought. parents don't tra- dress the children modestly, that somehow they've contributed. Right. If there's some kind of abuse, abuse that goes on. Well, you know, and I'm curious why, why it started, because, I mean, like talking about my mother, my mother dressed me in little sundresses and little outfits that would not be considered modest today. And that never bothered her. So that would have been, you know, the early 70s. That didn't bother her then, but it really bothers her now. So what has changed in the church since 1970 to now that's made that more of an issue? I have an early book called Meet the Mormons, and it's interesting because I picked out and scanned photos that they have of the youth where they are in, like, tank top kind of thing. and. It was called Meet the Mormons, and it was probably about the 60s and 70s. But I think it's maybe this out, um, out Mormoning each other (laughs) in some ways. Cause I know by the time, like 15 years ago, when my son was small, and I'm embarrassed now from this point of view, that I made sure as a child his clothing was garment ready and thought that that's how, you know, you're a good parent. And the thing that I reflected on that put me there, was the idea of when I was wearing garments, how they really pushed. You don't roll them. You don't pin them. You don't tuck them. And so I wore these awful, huge, like circus tent garments that would make sure they would never go above my knee. So usually they were several inches below my knee. And then this horrible crotch just barely above the knee, (laughs) um, just to make sure, you know, that I couldn't be accused of, of not wearing my garments properly. And then recognizing how embarrassing it was when I first got married and some of the little, you know, the little old ladies that want to stick their nose in your business and make sure they point it out anytime your garments, you know, hang out mm-hmm. from someplace. And, and so realizing, wow, well, you know, if they should be garment ready just before they go through the temple, well, how about, out, how about, about a little bit younger? Well, how about younger? And I'm going to out Mormon you because my kids are going to be more modest than your kids at a younger age. Yeah, it's an interesting question when it came about, I, I, or why, and we could theorize. I, I know the strength of the youth came out in the late 80s, and before that, I don't think it was spelled out as carefully. BYU had its standards. Um, and, only from um, 1971, though. 
And I know when I got to BYU in 91, um, they had just, there was much rejoicing and celebration because they just redid the uh, dress and grooming standards and allowed women to wear blue jeans. I think they, before that, they had to wear slacks. They allowed people to not wear socks. And there were some other, like, just really insignificant changes like that. But I, and I don't know, the EFY culture seemed to take off because when I was 12, that would have been, what, 85? It doesn't seem like it was as big of a deal as it is now. And it slowly grew in time. And they, if you go to EFY on BYU campus or one of the church ones, they enforce the dress and grooming standards. So, I don't know. I don't, I don't, I don't know if it's, if it's, as there's more visibility, we're trying to out Mormon the world, you know, show that, show that we're different. Um, um, well, you know, I did a search in the, in the friend, cause I was just curious about this question and I wanted to see. And, and there were two articles from the seventies, one from 1971 that mentioned modesty, but it was talking about a man. So it was kind of talking about a different kind of modesty, like being mm-hmm. humble, humble. And there was one in 1975, a girl wrote a letter to the general authorities because her parents wouldn't let her wear slacks at school, and they told her that the brethren wouldn't like it if she wore slacks. So she wrote them to say, what do you really think? And they wrote back and said, well, you know, it's really up to your parents, but, you know, if you're playing, like, because she said, I'm playing sports in a dress, and I don't think that's good. And they said, well, if you're playing sports, probably pants are okay. Um, and that was um, an Eldon Tanner who said that, by the way. And, uh, but that was the last mention of modesty in the friend until 2004. And since 2004, there have been 23 articles about modesty in the friend. And they're starting to use the strength of the youth. I mean, like some of those articles are about the strength of the youth. So they're pushing that down to the little kids, too. Really? Yeah, I've just been racking my mind. I was just looking for a book that I couldn't I couldn't find. Um, you know, as I've read through a lot of this stuff, if you go back to the 19th century, they didn't talk about this much at all. Um, they talked about vanity a lot, like wearing too many petticoats. Um, but But for the early church, it was really always chiding the women on being vain. And that probably had to do with the culture. Um, but if you get the fifth, the stuff in the fifties, they talk a lot about things like the jitterbug. It's, <laughs> um, and, and, and I mean, even early, that's, that's more like the twenties, but during that whole period, like the pre 1960s pre counterculture, they, they get really specific. And there's, there's a book I was looking for by Marky Peterson, his wife, where they talk about dance steps and they get very, very specific about things we would just be like, <laughs> who, who, who cares uh, about that? So what, what I think is funny about all this stuff is how, culturally reflective it is now if i had a real strong tbm they'd say it's because culture is just going to hell in a handbasket it's just going down down the tube and signs of the times signs of the times but it's it goes back to that that um cultural element of sexual dimorphism that i was talking about and you know when the mormons or whoever else goes into africa or a different or a place where where you know it's common for women not to wear shirts what what they first have to combat is they have they they have to tell people that it's immodest to not wear a shirt. They have you know, to shame them. They have to shame them first into it because there's no concept of that. You know, it's not like it's just like Satan in the Garden of Eden. See, look, look you're, naked. you're naked. Go run, hide. <laughs> right, and it's uh, they but can't, God it's, never said that. He didn't care if they were naked or not. Yeah, they can't leave well enough alone and say, well, obviously we're talking about modesty and and things that go along with modesty, and it's not immodest in that. If it's culture. not sexual, right. And and I think the the real perversion of this whole thing in our culture in, in Western American culture is the is the whole thing on breastfeeding. 
which is oh. just so bizarre. And it shows where these things lead to, where you're doing something that's that's healthy, natural, not sexual at all. What the breasts are really there for. And and people get all bent out of shape about it. And Absolutely. It's crazy. Absolutely. And saying, well, the least they can do is go into a restroom. And I'm like, when did you last eat a meal in a restroom? <laughs> Get serious. <laughs> All right. Well, um, I do want to read the strength of the youth, um, because, because it's, it's sort of ground zero for this. There is a key paragraph here. Um, and because we talked about that the paragraph for men was longer than it was for women for BYU. Now let's read this paragraph that has to, that, that defines these things. Um, immodest clothing includes shorts, includes short shorts and skirts, tight clothing. Shirts that do not cover the stomach and other revealing attire. Oh, immodest clothing includes short shorts, skirts, tight clothing, shirts that do not cover the stomach, and other revealing attire. Anybody here thinking have a picture of a man in their in their and head right now? Their cut, their cut off shirt. Yeah. Young women <laughs> should wear clothing that covers the shoulder and avoid clothing that is low cut in the front or the back or revealing in any other manner. Young men should also maintain modesty in their appearance. Yeah. <laughs> um. All should avoid extreme in clothing, appearance, and hairstyle. When would, have you ever heard the word hairstyle applied to a man? You know, he might talk about his haircut or his hairdo, but not hairstyle. No, they they, they mean it for the men there too, because they well, don't want like mohawks and purple well, hair. The point I'm getting to is this, is this paragraph and and the amount of is highly tilted towards women. I mean, the, 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 it's sort of like oh, and men too. Um, all should avoid ex- extremes in parents' hair, st- hair, in appearance and hairstyle. Always be neat and clean. Avoid being sloppy or inappropriate. Casually dressed, grooming, man- grooming manners. Ask yourself, would I feel comfortable with my appearance if I were in the Lord's presence? <laughs> oh. You know, I was going to say this earlier, but <laughs> that made me think of this again. I wonder if the angel Moroni missed that memo. Because he was naked, man. <laughs> yeah, he you was. can see he all the way down. Was, 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 ah, um, I, every time I read that, you know, I just get a little excited. <laughs> <laughs> well, and then my thought is, would Christ feel comfortable at BYU or BYU-Idaho or in a chapel <laughs> or in an LDS neighborhood, frankly, you know, in his, you know, beach shoes and his long hair and his, <laughs> you know, long robes? Yeah. Uh, you- how many of the prophets couldn't get into BYU and, and, uh, and, and all that stuff? Because Brigham would be in trouble. Yeah, the, the, his and statue he of BYU so is clean shaven. Beard. <laughs> oh, I just think he had alligator skin. That that was always the excuse in my family for the beard, beard wearers. They oh, had really? alligator skin. So but they had but why the why the eighteen inch beards like Lorenzo Snow had? You know that that anyway. It was sexy. Uh, so so um, I I. When we think of modesty, we think of women. I mean, that, that when we talk about modesty in the church, we think about women. And to say the women are responsible, like we've shown three or four or five different times, and there's more. There's just tons of this stuff. But what Zilf and I found as we started looking is this stuff is just everywhere. Yeah, I've got more. Oh, I've I can got post more. some more on our, I, I could go, <laughs> on we our could, Facebook. We page. could go an hour and just read out of these young women's manuals these things like being attractive to others. And I found I found the word deodorant four times in the women's manuals. I haven't found it once in the men's. <laughs> and who needs deodorant more? The stinky boys or the stinky girls? Well, they probably both need it. But the the it's 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 they don't even have lessons on grooming for the the men in the priesthood manuals, but they have several of them. They keep circling back to that because point. Appearance is such an important attribute 
for a young woman, for a, a woman to have in the church. But what, I, I said this before, the, 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 the nasty thing is the appearance in under these certain parameters. Because if you if you show too much, like, like these tight, je- these skinny jeans that, 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 that we're talking about in the first place. Steve? I have a question. Why do you think that Utah has the highest breast augmentation rate in the nation? I, I gave the, my theory for this Sexual before. dimorphism. I, I like this. It's because for a, a woman who's trying to follow the dress and grooming standards of the church, legitimately trying to follow it, because remember, she's supposed to be feminine, but she's not supposed to emphasize um, like her femininity. Like she can't wear anything that's too tight to, to, to show that she has a feminine shape. Breasts are acceptable, however. So the, the, the bigger the, 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 the bosoms there, the bigger, the, 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 the more <laughs> feminine she's looking without violating the Mormon standard of, of, um, of dress and groom. So because they'll can, still stick out even if she's wearing some, you know, a potato sack. Right. So she'll look more feminine. So yeah, if you look at all this stuff, it, it implies you're supposed yeah. to wear this frumpy, dowdy sort of clothing as a woman that doesn't show off your shape. That's that's one of the things. But you can't do anything about the breasts. So it's one of the few things that a woman can do to somehow look feminine, to obey those two conflicting things. So And to be attractive in her potato sack. Right. And you know, what's, what's weird is we have reversed this so much that um, I remember an art, uh, reading a... Um, uh, an interview with Betty Davis from like the seventies. And she was like, you know, talking about brassieres. She said, they're so disgusting. She, I never worn one. She said, because, because women from that generation would say, you know, you're taking your boobs, you're lifting them up and you're poking them out <laughs> and you're sticking them right in people's faces in, in a way that, that is less natural. But I think what people don't want to see for whatever reason is they don't want to see any movement, right? If the breast moves different than the body moves, then you're somehow being Im- Im- immodest or immoral. That's just weird and sick. Or and, if you have nipples. Or if yeah, your nipples are yeah. showing through, like mine always are. <laughs> um, so, but I, it's, it's, it's just it's just bizarre. Lo- so if you have Barbie, so they, the, in the Mormon standard, they have to not move. They have to be up high and they have to be large. So I, I, I think it's, I think it's, I, I don't mean it critically. It's because women are trying to fulfill those, those, those bizarre standards. <laughs> be attractive to their mates right since that's where their power is and their value yeah Go ahead. well i was just thinking i've been thinking all along about what you were talking about the objectification and the you know and and sort of just thinking of the double standard that we always seem to find ourselves in like for me specifically i was a dance major at byu so I'm reading through these dress and grooming standards. There's like, like we violated that every single day, every dance class in the Richards building all day long. And so it's, it's just like this. It was always kind of a struggle, I think, for me. And you can attest to that. With, She's talking to her husband. Yeah. With like what to wear, how to feel good about it. Am I being obedient as a Mormon woman? even though this is my career and what, and I never could really come to terms with what to wear. I just think it's really confusing. I mean, it goes back to the confusing thing. I mean, Zilva, you said before, like beach, I mean, that's okay. This is not okay. So just in a day at BYU, for you going through, it's like confusing. Like, okay, I'm wearing this now, but now I'm going to the, you know, to a cougar eat. Now, okay, now I'm not okay. Now I'm okay. Now I'm not okay. It's just that whole like confusion with everything as far as modesty and clothes go. Well, right. right. And Steve, you mentioned the whole power aspect. I said, 
or I was thinking of that. What better way of exerting your power and control over others than to keep them off balance? Um, to not clearly state the expectations, therefore, you know. Right. Off balance except for what I say. Yeah. When I say it. Then that will, that will rebalance you. <laughs> yeah. So I, I think one of the things that I've said, and I, I mentioned at the beginning, is that the church can be psychologically damaging to people. And people ask what I'm talking about. This is the sort of thing I'm talking about, is that from a very, very young age, and we point out younger and younger, that women, especially in the church, are, are fed a line that they're, that they are defined as mothers and wives and daughters. That's sort of outside the scope, scope of this. But where it becomes important to this is they have to be attractive as mothers, daughters, and, and, um, and wives. And that's where their value is. And if you read the young women's manual and the young women's values that they recite, they all tie up into that being desired. So as Tierra so eloquently pointed out, you know, to put them on display and then say your worth is in if you're chosen by a priesthood worthy holder. Oh, but by the way, not everybody gets chosen in this life. Da 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 da. It, it's just, it just messes with people's minds in such a way that I, I've met lots of women who've left the church and now the world's wide open to them. Their husbands are like, go do whatever you want. You can go to school. You can, and they're just, they, they, it's so hard to overcome this programming and say, I am a person of worth outside these objectifications, motherhood, wifehood, daughterhood. That's just as objectifying as saying she's a pair of tits because you're, <laughs> you're reducing her to a feature of her either anatomy or her person or character, which she does, and not looking at her as a person. And I would say when it comes to objectification of women, the church is just as bad as, as the worst things out there. Have you ever noticed that the, the tight clothing is not an yeah, issue? <laughs> the tight clothing is not an issue with somebody who's like, completely overweight you know that's not immodest that's just because they're overweight yes but if you've got a nice body it is a problem because i did notice that there are some problems with tight clothing i know uh, my husband and i were trying to differentiate you know talking it out together and and so it's like you know if if your shirt underneath <laughs> is tight to show your breasts that's a problem so it's like Right, but if, so if you have kind Just of a boyish boyish figure, you can wear tight clothes and no one will, will point a finger at you because true. you're not sexual. I mean, you don't look as sexual. Yeah, and for That's the picture true. of our friend at BYU-Idaho, you'll see that she is curvy. And and if I agree, not in an unpleasant way. She looks, She's an attractive girl. But if she was 60 pounds lighter, she was a skinny, skinny girl, she could be wearing clothing tighter than that, than what she's wearing and no one would say boo. And this is, this is once again what's so difficult when they don't define out the standards. You know, look at how pedantic they got on the sideburns. Can't go to the cheek. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> but then, then it's, it's easy to, you know, check. You can just say, okay, he's, he's in check. But they don't give that latitude to, to the to women because basically what you're saying is they would say this same standard of tightness is okay with this chick and not okay with this chick, you know? Oh, yes. Absurdity, definitely. <laughs> and see, and I don't understand this. This has always been kind of my issue. Even when I've been looking for, um, you know, looking at charter schools for my kids, things like that, where I look at the, I will not send my kids someplace where there's a uniform. I check out the standards at the different schools. And of course, I like my kids to dress so they don't get sent home. So I try to follow that. 
but basically my kids need some place to have some self-expression to to decide how they want to look, how they want to present themselves. So the idea of trying to control them by sending them to a school where they have to wear a uniform, um, I don't like at all. And I know at one point, you know, my son grew his hair long. He doesn't have it long anymore. But when it was, and he would get grief, you know, every time he'd visit grandma, oh, do you want me to cut your hair? Do you want me to cut your hair? He'd have friends from school come and visit saying, hey, cut your hair, man, cut your hair, man. And I would get so frustrated. And I finally said, hey, you know, do you want someone who can decide what length of hair they feel most comfortable in, you know, or do you want some guy well, and the the story that I told is, you know, he's got this peer pressure telling him to cut his hair. And I said, and I'm glad he's willing to wear it long if he wants it long, because maybe those same kids that might pressure him to go take drugs, he's going to be able to say no to them, too. So you're talking, you know, so you have the peer pressure to maybe dress, not wear enough clothing, and then this peer pressure to wear too much clothing. But they're giving into peer pressure and not what works for them and trying out their own decision making. And I think clothing is a really great way to try out decision making and not on, oh, how about this drug or something else? All right. Well, I think we've sort of been around the, the table. Any uh, last thoughts or uh, on this? Oh, I have one more. Yes. Well, I was just thinking about the, the silly BYU-Idaho thing. And I think there was a sign that said, if you don't understand these things, <laughs> you can go home and pray about it or something like that. And Steve and I were talking this afternoon, like, what if somebody went home and prayed? And the answer was, skinny jeans are okay, man, you know? Well, it said that if you didn't get the answer. I mean, oh, what did it say? Yeah. I, I don't remember if it was <laughs> on that paper or if it was in the... Um... It, the paper itself is a study in, in more... We could do a whole podcast on this thing. I'll, I will read it to you. If your pants are tight enough for us to see the shape of your leg, <laughs> your pants are too tight. That's in bold. If we can see the shape of your belly button, your top is too tight. Your top is too tight in bold. The what next you paragraph. Have an Audi. The CES dress and grooming standard underlined in a bigger font that you have agreed to honor. And honor is in a bigger, is in capital letters. States, oh, state that, quote, Clothing is inappropriate when it is dot, 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 form-fitting, end quote. The skinny jeans style is not appropriate attire. <laughs> it also says, quote, dress and skirts must be knee-length or longer, end quote. Italic. Short skirts <laughs> with tights underneath are short skirts. Um, th now, this is, this is the golden paragraph. Th this, this is more, for anybody who wants to study Mormonism, this is it. This is it. Get ready. If your clothing or attitude does not meet the commitments you have made to live the, the honor code, will you please go home and prayfully visit with your Father in Heaven and recommit yourself to be a true disciple and abide by the honor code that defines your commitment to be a disciple? Because what that's saying, in a nutshell, is you go pray about it, and then you're going to confirm what we're telling. There, I mean, there's no, there's no agency there. Like, if you don't, if you don't understand this, or you don't agree with this, then you got to keep doing the stuff until you understand it. It's the we're telling you what, um, what God is is, is wants, um, for you. wants for you. We're telling you the answer, right? 
pray until you get that answer. <laughs> I've, I've, I've taken my new standard as I go around telling believers what God wants all the time. I said, God wants this house to be purple, or God wants me to go get a cheeseburger. And then they say, how do you know that God wants to do that? And I say, exactly. <laughs> um, well, there's a quote from when I was doing my research for this. Um, I came across an article in The Friend about, I don't know if you've heard of the head, shoulders, knees, and toes thing mm-hmm. um, that you're supposed to do for modesty. No. Like, so they have the young women stand and play that game, head, shoulders, knees, and toes. So they put their hands on their head, and if they see, like, their shirt pulls up, oh. then... I would so I'll, I'll read this because it's great. So, so this girl is being taken shopping by her... Um, young women's leader and she she has her pick out some clothes and then try them on and then she says okay now let's start with your head anna put her hands on her head and saw her shirt pull up burying her skin <gasps> oops she gasped tugging it back down sister Jensen put anna's hands back up that's part of the game you see how much your shirt lifts up now try shoulders Anyway, so she goes through the whole thing, shoulders, knees and toes and everything, you know, shows something different. Anyway, I love that line. That's part of the game. I think that's exactly <laughs> that's what it is. Game. It's part of the game that you have oh to play gosh. to be a good little Mormon, that you just have to follow these ever-shifting rules. And um, if you don't, then the boogeyman's going to come get you. That was in the friend, huh? Or boys will want to have sex with you. Well, same thing, right? (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, uh, ladies, thank you for for joining us here tonight. I hope you've all recovered from this nonsense. And (laughs) for those of you who can or able, please pull your daughters out of this or at least give them a talking to and, and let them know that this stuff is all bull crap. What do you look at me like? All right. Well, as always, the discussion continues on our website at mormonexpression.com. You can send us mail at mail at mormonexpression.com. And that is not spelled M-A-L-E. M-A-I-L. Well, thanks, everybody. Good night. Thank you. Good night. Thanks. Thanks.